Here's the thing, Brian. I'm getting sick and tired of seeing our listeners out on the street. It's a and disgrace. I say, I, I say what, what are you all up to? Oh, we just got done eating dinner. And I ask them where, and it's not Lazari Italian Oven. So you know what we need to do? We need to promote our sponsor, Lazari Italian Oven. Tony hit, just hit the nail on the head. What are you doing? If you're in Jonesboro area and you're eating anywhere else, you know you've already made a mistake. You already regret it. You spent too much and you went home half hungry. Or you, or, <laughs> <laughs> Man, this boy's laughing because he knows it's true. And so here's the thing. Lazari's is going to treat you right, just like the conversation family. <laughs> you need you need to go to Lazari's today. At eight, you need to call them first at 870-931-4700. November's starting up. You're worrying about turkey. You're worrying about the gravy. You're worrying about all that other stuff. Why don't you let them worry about your dinner between now and then? Go to Lazari's and let them take care of you. Tony, straighten up. Listen, I need you to give our next sponsor. I got to pause it. We'll be right back. Sorry about that delay. Uh, we were Talk still- about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll be pause right. it. Pause it. All right, I think we got it together now. Oh man! Anyway, go get you a dinner at Lazaria Italian Oven. You won't be you won't be messed up if you do that. I tell you what, I'm I'm crying right now. But you know what's Tony, one thing? Look me in my eye. Oh, don't do you that. won't be messed up at all. <laughs> Here's the thing: you won't be leaving there crying if you go get a dinner from Lazaria Italian Oven. All right, Brian. Woo! Let's move on. Are you hot? Burning it's, up. It's kind of warm in here. It's stuffy. I wish I knew somebody that could fix that for me. You do, because you know our sponsor, Nat Anderson. Nat Anderson and Anderson Heat and Air is going to take care of any room in your home that's not getting the proper ventilation. He's going to help you work on your unit, put in new units. Whatever you need, Nat Anderson is going to help you out. You don't have to be in the Jonesboro area alone. You can just be in the surrounding Northeast Arkansas area. He works in Newport. He works in Jonesboro. He works, hey, whatever it is, I'm sure if you you show him a little cash, he'll he'll make a trip. He'll make a trip. You need to let Nat Anderson come and help you out. You need to call him today at 870-664-1967 and take care of that heat. Or if you, hey, the winter's coming up and you've been able to make it all summer without having your heater running, and you know that you're about to have to spend some money, what a better place than to spend it on a on an individual that supports he- conversations like we've been having. Absolutely. Check out Anderson Heat and Air today. Brian, we also have a company called the Drifted Drum Company. This is an awesome company that we got going on. Uh, she's got a story, and she decided to tell it. So she wrote a book called No Mess, No Message. This, this book, you can find healing. You can find overcoming. You can do, Brian, I'm telling you, this is a book that you want to get your hands on. You can go to the drifteddrumcompany.com, promo code CRUCIAL, and get 10% off anything you order. Here's the thing. She has more than just books. You can find 
T-shirts. You can find hats. You you know what? Just just go look. Do us a favor. You know what? Like Brian just said, we appreciate the people who support our show. Why don't we show some appreciation towards them? If you like our podcast, why don't you go ahead and go out and support the ones that support us? Go to the driftedrumcompany.com, type in promo code crucial for 10% off your entire purchase. And we got to say to Dr. April, we appreciate your support and connecting with us. She's awesome. But hey, going back to some of these sponsors here. We've got a new business that is sponsored us, but just because it's a new business doesn't mean they're new to the real estate game. They know game. what they're doing. They know what they're doing. They know what they're doing. Dustin and Rossi have been working for the people in the Arkansas communities for to purchase homes for the last couple of years of combined experience. I know whenever Melissa and I were looking to purchase a home, Dustin was the guy who actually sold. Dustin uh, helped us get our home too. Yeah, so both of us, he, yeah, we purchased absolutely. our home uh, through him. And so we trust Dustin, and you should too. You can contact Dustin's business today, the Live Oak Real Estate, at 870-520-2522, or you can visit them online at listwithliveoak.com. You need to get a new home. Uh, after all, you got to have that couch in there. So whenever you get home after disgracing yourself by coming home half empty because you ate at the wrong restaurant, <laughs> you, you, you got to have a place you can put your feet up, oh, and a place where God. you can, you, a place where you got to get up and look yourself in the mirror and say, "Why in the world did I go eat at that disgraceful restaurant? I should have gone to Lazari's next time." And once again, because we put some pauses up front, you need to check out Lazari Italian Oven. Hey, all right, Brian. We've talked about this new home that you're getting. You're gonna be putting a Christmas tree in this home, but you know what? Get your kids a gift that won't fit underneath that Christmas tree. I'm talking about this segment is being brought to you by Jonesboro Cycle and ATV. These folks are your local power sports dealership. Look, we are here to for the to fulfill the full line of Can-Am, Kawasaki, CF Motor, Wave Runner, Hammerhead, Polaris. It doesn't matter. They're your one-stop shop for your units, parts, service, and riding gear. You know what? Your kids don't want that toy anyway. Stop going cheap. They're getting a little bit older. They're knowing what you're doing. These layaway gifts, by the time you get them paid off, they ain't worth the box they come in. Go ahead and get them a four-wheeler. You know what? They might even throw in a helmet and some gloves. You know, a couple years ago, that's what they were doing. They're known for giving stuff away. You know what? Call them at 870-935-2887. Hey, you don't want to get out your house because it's so comfortable you just got you that new new house from Dustin? I understand that. Go to jonesborocycle.com. You can put in promo code... Oh, you already know what that promo code is because all you got to remember is the name of the podcast, Crucial, and that'll get you 10% off anything you want there, anything that comes with helmets. Hey, you know what? I'm sure that they'll even get you 10% off that oil change in that four-wheeler you got your kid. You know what? Take care of it. Mm-hmm. Hey, you got you got to do it because everybody's going to look forward to that gift. Everybody want. Listen, your kids don't want to wake up on Christmas morning and think they've been naughty all year. You want them to know that Santa came and paid him a visit, and there's not a better gift out there than a gift you can get at Jones World ATV. He started to pray, and the first thing that he said was, Spirit of witchcraft, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. That really caught my attention because I'm like, whoa, man, that's crazy. And the second thing that he said was, um, spirit of infirmity, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus, leave her body now. When he said that, I felt myself having a seizure and I started to fall. And he kind of just pulled me back up and he said, I said, leave her body now. And when he said it the second time, I felt a hand go into my chest and just yank something out of me. Uh, service was already finished, lights were off. 
but the power of God hit the platform. The power of God hit the platform. I knew that I had been healed. Hey guys, this is Brian. And I'm Tony. And you're listening to the Crucial Conversation Podcast. When we first started the podcast, um, we didn't really know who all would get connected to this ministry. And one thing that we've noticed, Tony and I, is looking at demographics is that a lot of our podcasts, they seem to connect very well with uh, the ladies, and especially, and we can see that because when we have ladies on the podcast, we see that our numbers seem to be, uh, they grow a little bit faster. Yeah, they do. And, and they, the guys are steady, but there is a tremendous growth with <laughs> our ladies. And so today we have no one that we can think of that is better to, to speak to today um, that has certainly recently, uh, I'm unsure of the exact amount of years that she's been doing this, but really has an emphasis on ministering to ladies, uh, but not just ladies, but has been involved in missions work uh, to different communities. And we'd like to... She done every, she's done everything. Done everything. We, yeah. we read her uh, uh, resume, her, before, bio, yeah. her bio before we started the podcast, and it was as long as my arm. <laughs> and, uh, and so, so we'd like to welcome Sister Jessica Marquez to the podcast. And her Thank husband's you. sitting behind you. Yes, he is here. Uh, so we are, we're thankful to have them both. They just came in to Jonesboro on their way back from St. Louis. And we greatly appreciate you stopping by our church before you head home, Sister Marquez. Thank yes, you so thank much. Thank you so much. Uh, it's an honor to be here with you all. Well, we've got a lot to dive into. So what do you say we dive in? So good. I was reading your bio earlier and... Something really jumped out to me uh, about your um, college um, experiences, but let's go back before we get there, but I definitely want you to hit on that because it raised my eyebrows, Brian. Whenever I told you, you said, really? Yeah. But uh, So tell us a little bit how you got involved in the church. Um, do you mean like from when I came into church? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, my family came into the church when I was probably around eight years old. My aunt she was already in the church and my father uh, he was a farmer in Leward, Texas and the church is still there in fact the town it, it kind of disappeared but the church is still there and everyone still goes to church there so shout out to Leward, Texas and the Williams who still pastor the church and my aunt who still goes to church there after 35 years I think almost 40 years but she invited us to go to church there for Sunday school and when she invited us to go to church there, it was just something. I, I fell in love with the church. And my dad was actually from another denomination and continued going to church there, but something inside of me. I told my dad, I'm sorry, I'm Pentecostal. And uh, I was just so hard-headed that I, I just kept going to church there. And, and my dad, in fact, uh, started coming to church after my mom did and my brothers. We all received the Holy Ghost. And I was 10 years old when my dad began pastoring his own church. So that's how we came into the church. Awesome. And, and so now, uh, how old did you say you were again whenever you received the Holy Ghost? Um, I received the Holy Ghost when I was 10. I was baptized when I was 8. And, and so from that early age, this is pretty much really, this has been your whole life then. Yes, it yes. has. And so I, I noticed what one thing you know, on your phone case, 
you've got the logo that says be apostolic and you're wearing the cap that says be apostolic so you're apostolic through and through yes i am chosen vessels uh, faint adams from tampa florida rashidi collins they're uh, really good friends of mine and they actually have joined with us in our conference and i, I really believe in being apostolic Yes, yes absolutely. absolutely. I'm, I'm excited to get into that. So you graduate high school, you have a huge offer sitting in front of you, but you tend to go away that nine out of 10 people would not do. Tell us about that. Yes, I've always liked to study. I've always loved school. I was a person that walked around with a book in front of my face walking down the hallways because I just really loved to read. So as I was graduating from high school, uh, my senior year of high school, my dad moved us from where we lived at just a little south of Houston down to the Valley of Texas, right at the border of Mexico to a town called Roma, Texas. We went to a school from a graduating class of 55 people to a graduating class of almost 300 people. So it was kind of a shocker for me. And when I got there, uh, it it was just, um, I guess, an eye-opener in We just had so many more teachers and so much more things that were just offered to us as a class. And I had one teacher, her name was Krista. She was really young. They they would send all of these teachers down to the valley, especially since we were right at the border and they'd come and learn. So my teacher saw a lot of potential in me and I had already applied for UT and for Texas A&M because I'm from Texas. And I had already been accepted with full paid scholarships and room and board. But she thought she'd surprise me, and she paid for my application to Harvard. She sent it in. And I remember she sat me down in the hallway, and she said, Jessica, I have some great news for you. And she gave me this envelope. And when she gave it to me, she had already opened it, and she was so happy. And I sat down with her there in the hallway, and I read it, and it said I had been accepted to Harvard. And I remember I looked at her, and I said, I'm sorry, but I've already accepted to go to Texas Bible College. I had a one-year scholarship to TBC. I was the first recipient from Spanish ministries. I think that was maybe the only scholarship they gave, but it was just for one year. And she said, what do you mean you're going to just waste everything that you have? One, all of these scholarships, I mean, you could at least go to UT. I had already went to go visit the campus, UT and A&M campuses. She said, you have all of these opportunities. You can go to Harvard, and you want to go to this small little school that doesn't even have accreditation. And I told her, well, that's just really what my parents feel that we should do, so that's what I'm going to do. So I think that was probably the saddest day for her. I I think sometimes uh, people get confused between what's a good opportunity and the will of God. Oh. Uh, I think think that there's plenty of times that that people, obviously, a lot of people, they fall into it. It's almost like a trap to some people that job opportunities come open or, in your case, this college door opened up. And just because the opportunity is good, it doesn't mean that that opportunity is God. Because how differently would your life have been if you had accepted that, uh, that ex- if you ended up going to Harvard rather than going to TPC? Well, you see, um, and you're TPC. right, you're, you're, you're right, Brian, because I, I couldn't see the big picture when I was a senior in high school. I, I mentioned my family had come into church and my dad was a pastor. I didn't know what my future held, but God did. At the end of my freshman year, my dad ended up leaving the church. He ended up leaving our family. If I wouldn't have been at TBC at that time, there's no telling where I would be. If I would have been 
out of college where I didn't have the support system that I needed. I might not even be serving the Lord right now, but God knew what I needed at that moment. And then my husband came to Houston and he came to TBC. And when he came in, you know, it just totally changed my life. And because of that, I was able to go in and do such amazing things. And now we've come full circle and everything that I wanted to do whenever I was a senior in high school. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and tell my age. I'm 41. We weren't going to ask. Well, you. You know, <laughs> I, I'm not saying. I have kids in college, so, and anyway, everybody knows how old I am, so I'm not so embarrassed about it because I'm not that old <laughs> yet. But uh, <laughs> I'm now studying for my Master's of Divinity. I wanted to be a, a professor at college, and, you know, all of those things that I wanted to do when I was young. God is allowing me the opportunity to do what I wanted to do. But I've got to do all of these amazing things in the middle of it all. The Lord is just such a good God because whenever he calls us to do something and we accept his call, he has a way of not just using us and, and doing amazing and extraordinary things and giving us the things that we didn't even know we wanted. Yeah. But then he comes around and gives us what we want also. Right. So God's just so it's good. like seek ye first the kingdom of God and he will add all these things unto you. I think the principle in that is is certainly clear that if if you put God, if you make God's priorities first, he will make room for your priorities in that. And and like I remember whenever I was growing up, Tony, I've never told you this, but I had a the pastor's wife that I had at the time, we were at senior camp and she went through and she was kind of speaking encouragement to all the young people and she was like, Brian, you could be the president of the United States. You could be anything you ever wanted to be but seek God before you do all of that. Yeah. And so that, that's a, a way that I've, I've hoped that I have lived my life is in a way of, of putting first the kingdom of God and, and, and just seeing, even though I'm only, I'll tell my age too since, uh, since you've already opened He's up. He's old young <laughs> I, I'm, I know I'm ancient. I'm 27 years old. But you know, I would hope that in, in these last few years, that has been something that I have pursued. And, and I have seen God... Uh, I, I don't know in the full extent of what God's trying to do in my life, but there, even as recent as doing this podcast since July, I begin to see things that God is beginning to open up doors in my own life. And it's things as a kid that I wanted to do so bad. And I wanted to go to Bible college, but I kind of got talked out of it by parents. But it forced me to learn on my own. Yeah, And now I'm beginning to see these things where people that I'm meeting and people, everything's coming in. And in the life I wish I could have lived, I'm beginning to live. I want to ask you a question about whenever you turned down Harvard. Whenever you told your friends, did you ever get so some negative feedback to, where, to where you thought, am I really crazy? Well, you know, my, my house was always a house where... Because I was always in honors programs, so my house was always filled with my classmates because I'm the one who helped write papers. I'm the one Did who helped Did you ever do anybody's homework? Well, <laughs> I don't know if I want to say that over a podcast. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but, you know, I always did help. So, But they always knew how important God was to me because they would come and visit the church. So they always knew that I was different. And because they knew I was different, you know, they never questioned what I did. In fact, a lot of my high school friends, they still follow me on Facebook. Mm. They're still my friends today. And they comment on a lot of stuff that they see me do. And so I'm just grateful for that because, uh, you know, in this era of technology that we have, we can still stay connected. Yeah. yeah. 
So tell me this story about whenever you met your husband at Bible college. Um, did you, was there an instant draw or was there this thing that, no, I'm coming here for Bible college, not to meet this man of my dreams? Well, I actually met my husband when he was 16 years old. He came with, I think it was David Hunt. They came down for a missions thing at my dad's church. My dad pastored on one side of the border and he also had a church on the Mexican side of the border. So my husband came with Brother Hunt's youth group and I saw him. When I saw him, he says I asked for his number, but I don't remember doing that. But you know, when I saw him at TBC, I came back in and it was my junior year. I got on campus and Brother Phelps, he was our campus pastor. He said, Jessica, why aren't you at work? Like, well, nobody told me I have a job. He said, you have a job in the cafeteria, so I took off running. When I went into the cafeteria, opened the door, my husband was in there working, and I saw him again. I'm like, wow, well, there's Antonio Marquez. I was a missions club president at TBC, so I got to interact with him a lot. I had seen him that summer. When I saw him that summer, it was at Tabernacle de Vida, which is a very large church in Houston, Texas. Uh, my father-in-law was a missionary to the country of Mexico, the vice president of the Church of Mexico. And they asked my husband to go up and testify. Now, everyone knew who my husband was, and, and I knew who he was, but when they gave him the microphone to testify, there was just something different about him, just a fireball preacher, and so that caught my attention. I got to tell him hello, and then I saw him a few weeks later at TBC. Since, uh, you know, most Bible colleges have uh, groups that go out to go and minister at different churches, my husband was in our group, so I got to interact with him. I guess he asked me out. It was on Labor Day week, and a week later, he asked me to marry him. Nine months later, we got married. A week later? A week later, yes. Wow. Nine yeah. months later, we got married, and then 10 days after that, we were in Mexico. And we were pastoring three churches at one time. You're not waiting around at all. Wow. No. When he asked me to marry him, I looked at him, and I remember I thought, is he being for real? What's going on here? But he told me, you know, God told me that you're going to be my wife, and I believed him. He was very sincere. Plus, I mean, I looked at his face, and I said, well, I think that I could live with this guy for the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So you guys immediately—so did you graduate Bible college, I'm assuming? Yes. I, well, I, I went through the end of my junior year. Okay. Into my senior year. My senior year is spent on the mission field. And so— we, when once we got to the mission field and we started working there, my husband was already a presbyter um, at the age of 18 years old. He started wow. pastoring when he was 15. Um, I think that when we were, maybe he was 18, 19, he was already the district secretary. When he turned 20 years old, he was a district superintendent, and we were appointed as the youngest missionaries of the United Pentecostal Church International. You guys didn't waste time in ministry, did you? <laughs> let, let, let me ask you this. I've always, for me, it wasn't this way, but I, before I got married, I heard a lot of people say, your first year is the worst year. Whenever you get married in such a short period of time, and then you go straight into the missions work, how, do you, how did you balance being newlyweds, doing a work on the mission field, what was that first year or the first couple of years of your marriage like? I didn't know how to speak Spanish, Brian. So that was a big deal. I'm living in Guadalajara, Mexico, and I don't know the language. I don't know the culture. 
I don't really like the food because, you know, people think that Mexican food is what they eat in Mexico. It is not. Over oh, here, that's that. That, that's I learned Tex-Mex. that when I went. <laughs> what, what's different about it? I know this is to- this it's, is I know this is the deepest question <laughs> I've asked all night. But but what? Because I've heard that too. I've heard is it is it true? That, is it so? What we're eating here is it more like Americanized? It, it's more like Tex-Mex. I remember I ordered enchiladas, and I'm thinking I'm gonna get enchiladas, right? Mm-hmm. And they bring me this corn tortilla that has tomato sauce, and it wasn't really tomato sauce. I guess it was like spicy tomato sauce, and it had cabbage on it. And I'm looking at it, and I'm like, this isn't an enchilada. Where's the meat and the cheese at? Mm -hmm. That was an enchilada to them. Uh And so, (laughs) you know, everything had... You know, everything had jalapenos or some kind of hot spice to it, and I don't like spicy stuff at all. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of hard for me. It, it took me a minute. Now, I did know how to sing Spanish songs, and I play the keyboard, so I sang and played everywhere because I was the only person who could play the keyboard. So I think on a Sunday we would go to four services, and I would play and sing in every service, but I really couldn't understand most anything that happened mm-hmm. besides that. So you're in a whole different world. Yes, it was an entirely different world for me. But I'm thankful for my husband. He was very patient with me. It took me about a year and a half to learn how to speak Spanish. And after that, I was able to, you know, just get in there and and help out as much as I could. So what did your parents think about all this? Uh, I always say a funny story because my mom, uh, when we got married and we went to Mexico, my mom took us to a bus station in McAllen, Texas. We would get on the bus in McAllen, and that bus would take 28 hours to get to Guadalajara, where we lived at. And I had a trunk. It was just a little brown trunk, and what fit in that trunk is what I took with me. And my mom is standing there as we're leaving, and my poor mom, I mean, I'm I'm thinking about it now. My daughter's 19, and I can't imagine letting my daughter do what my mom had to do with me. And she scanned the crowd, and there was this man, and he was wearing red cowboy boots. And the only thing I remember my mom saying is, be careful with the man with the red boots because he looks kind of shady. And that's the last thing that I remember her saying. And I get on the bus, and we take off. And uh, I, I remember my mom, and I think to myself, my poor mom, you know, she just stood there as we took off for 28 hours on a, on a bus. So that leads us into another time in your life. Tell me about the time you got appointed missionaries to Costa Rica. Well, um, we felt that it was the will of God for us to leave the country of Mexico. And as we were considering where we might go to, we felt the Lord send us to Costa Rica and we moved there. That had to be hard on you all because you started everything in Mexico. Was it not hard to let go what you built for so long and you put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into? I think mostly for my husband, especially because he was five years old when he went with his dad to the mission field to Mexico. Oh, so you're a missionary's child. Yes, he's a missionary wow. kid, and dad was a legal representative, and he I mentioned the vice president there. So after dad passed away and you know we stayed there for a few years more, and we felt the Lord leading us to Costa Rica, and we moved to San Jose, Costa Rica. Wow. So what all did you guys do while you were in Costa Rica? You were appointed by the United Pentecostal Church um, to Costa Rica. What, what all did you guys 
formulate while you were there? Well, while we were in San Jose, what we did, mostly my husband did crusades throughout the country, and we went to different cities, and we set up, I guess, kind of like tents, and we had crusades out in the open air, and people would come out, and they would listen to the Word of God, and we would pray for them. They'd receive the Holy Ghost, and we'd baptize them, and then we'd go to the next city, and that's what we'd do. My husband also taught at the Bible school there in San Jose. So, so you had, did you have children? You had children at Yes, time. our kids were six and seven. So how did they take all this? Well, you know, our kids are troopers. They were born on the mission field. They were born missionary kids. So they have just always just been a part of our ministry. They have just worked with us. They didn't know us. anything else. They don't know anything else more than ministry, and they're missionaries. I want you to be completely honest with me here. Whenever you feel like God's pulling you all these different directions, did you ever question God and wonder why? Because you never got to settle anywhere. Well, I don't think I questioned God in the middle of it because we were just working. And as we're working, we're just following the voice of God, just getting to the next point where he wants for us to be at. So it, it was just packing up and moving. I think maybe when we left Mexico, because we had lived there for 11 and a half, maybe 12 years, and when we left the country of Mexico, it wasn't packing up in a container. We had yeah. an excursion, and we had a cargo trailer that was maybe six foot, and everything that we owned was inside the excursion and in that cargo trailer. And if it didn't fit in there, you we, didn't have it. we didn't have it. So do you ever wish or wonder what it would have been like to just have a ministry in a local church where you're rooted, you know what's next, because you guys, you lived on the fly. Well, I don't, I don't. I couldn't, I couldn't do that. Could you, Brian? I like my stability. So here's the the thing: when you ask that question, until you're put in that situation, you really don't know what you. Yeah, do. absolutely. Well, you have a hundred percent trust in God at this point. Well, I I do, brother Tony, and the thing is that uh, my husband and I we have planted seventeen churches. And in That's what, seventeen more than me. <laughs> and in the middle of it all, you don't you don't think about it because you're just working for God. I think that maybe it's when you're older and you look back and you look at everyone who's your age and they have stability and they have things and you're looking back and you're like, Well, here I am starting another church and everyone already has all this stuff and you don't have everything that they do. Right. You're wondering did I make the right choice? Right, because I can I can relate on this point because here I am, I'm I have that stability, but there has been times in my life where I've questioned, am I still in the will of God? Am I still doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Am I following the purpose God's planned out for my life? And I have that stability. You had no safety net. None at all. And I, and I think that the, the question that we have to ask ourselves, especially my husband and myself, is are we still listening to the voice of God or are we listening to our flesh? Are we looking to what we want? Are we still following the voice of God? Right. And, and that's, you know, that, that's a really fine line because ourselves, especially as you get older, you want that stability. But when God has called you to do something and he's asking you to walk by faith because he's given you a missionary heart, a church planner's heart, you know, those, those people are called to do things that maybe not everybody wants to do. What would you say to the person um, 
that is questioning God right now that feels a pull on their life that they don't see? Well, you know, if God if God is pulling you to do something and you're questioning God, first of all, stop questioning him because if it's God and you don't listen to what he's asking you to do, you will never be totally fulfilled. It doesn't matter what you have. It doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank, how many homes you own, how many cars you have. You'll never be truly happy if you don't follow the voice and the call of God. Because if you're not doing what God has called you to do, it doesn't matter what you have. What does that voice of God sound like to you? The voice of God is, you know, it sounds different to everyone. And sometimes people can't hear the voice of God because their voice, their life is just too loud. And because their life is just filled with too much noise, um, that voice ends up not really truly being the voice of God. It's the voice of somebody else that they've learned to listen to instead of the voice of God. I've known even for myself that whenever I seek counseling because I don't want to do what God's asked me to do, I go in with the mindset of, I want you to affirm how I feel and not tell me to do something else. You know, I don't want them, I don't want the person I'm seeking counseling from to tell me, no, you're wrong. You need to listen to God more because like I said, sometimes God has things in your life or plans for your life and you don't if you don't follow them it seems like everything further from that point is just out of place well you you know um, brother tony i guess the best advice i've ever gotten was from my husband Um, because my bio and my resume like you said brother brian it says all the good stuff in it right Mm -hmm. but it doesn't say all the stuff that i've had to go through and stuff that my husband knows and a lot of people know because they follow me on social media I've had seven strokes, I've had a cerebral aneurysm, I've been in the hospital in four different countries, 10 different times, all kinds of things have happened to me. And because all of these things have happened to me health-wise, I'll have people that are in my life that are my mentors, that are voices in my life that'll tell me don't do something because they're worried for me. And my husband one time told me, Jessica, what you have to learn how to do is discern the voice of God because people will want you to do something, but you have to hear the voice of God. And, and even that's with him because if he'll tell me to do something, I'll stop and I'll ask him, honey, is this what you feel from God or is this what you want for me to do? I'll especially remember one time when I went to Nicaragua, I think it was four years ago, I was in the hospital. They had just told me that I had cancer in my lungs. Um, I had been in the hospital for 11 days. We were just fixing to go with a team. I had people flying into Miami, fixing to go out. They told me that I couldn't travel. My daughter was 16 at the time. She came in and I told her, Lexi Marie, you're flying with with a couple of ladies to Nicaragua. Now, I wouldn't even let my daughter go to the bathroom in a restaurant by herself. because I was afraid something would happen to her. And she said, but mom, you don't let me go nowhere. I said, but baby, when you go to Nicaragua, the ladies are gonna see you. They're gonna know mom's coming soon. I want for them to know that I'm on my way. She said, but mom, you're here in the hospital. They're not gonna let you out. I said, they'll either let me out or I'll sign myself out, but I'm going. 
My husband and I, we sat there, and as we sat there, we prayed. They went in to do biopsies. Long story short, the Lord did a healing work in my body. But even though he did a healing work in my body, my lungs were very, very weak. I had to go to the airport. They let me out at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. 5 o'clock in the morning, I was at the airport in Miami in a wheelchair. They pushed me in a wheelchair. I went with a nurse. I got to Nicaragua in a wheelchair with a nurse. I could barely walk. I was on oxygen. I went and I preached that night. National president is standing there waiting to take the mic in case I could not finish preaching. I had to sit down to finish preaching. The Lord healed me while I was there. But in the middle of it all, my husband's receiving calls from people saying, are you crazy? Why did you let your wife do that? I am receiving calls. They're telling me all kinds of stuff. We're hearing voices that are people that we love and trust. But we know what God has told us. And while I'm there, God completely heals my body. And he does an extraordinary work with 6,000 women in a country. And because I went in, even though I was so weak in my body, the faith of those women grew to such a magnitude. We had so many receive the Holy Ghost. And the Lord did such a dynamic work. But if I would not have done what the Lord asked me to do, even though it was so taxing on me, and my poor husband that stayed in Miami worried that his wife has to go in a wheelchair to a different country. But we have learned how to listen to the voice of God. So you just told me about a time that you had 100% trust in God and you knew your exact direction and what you were supposed to go. Can you tell us about a time that was one of the darkest times in your walk that you were, you were away from home and you had to just know that you were in the will of God even though you felt like this is my darkest hour right now? Oh, yes. Uh, I mean... There has been very dark times in life because your walk with God is not always going to be a bed of roses. Uh, the enemy will come and he will make you question if where you're at at that moment is truly the place that you're supposed to be at. And there will be trials that come into your life. There, there will be really, really hard times that come where you question if what you're doing is, is really worth it. Yeah. And when those times come, if, if you don't really just stop, and, and I found, especially with myself, if it would not have been that I love God so much, there's not, no way that I would be where I'm at right now. I have mentors in my life, accountability partners, my husband. If I did not have these strong people in my life that during those dark moments when I just felt like I could not go on anymore, there's some things that I felt like I just could not tell anybody because they were just, it was just too much for me. But it's at that precise moment that the Lord brings someone in that has a word from God that'll say, you know what, I know that you're going through this right now, but don't give up. Just around the corner, God is about to turn everything around. And even though I can't see that, just the fact that I have a little bit of hope, that hope makes me press on because I know that God sees me. And if I know that God sees me, I know that everything is going to be all right. Do you feel like the, the afflictions that you've had do you feel like they are a spiritual attack from the enemy, or do you think that it's just 
that life happens? Well, I would say that life just happens, except that it seems that every time that I'm fixing to do something that is huge, I end up in the hospital. That's not a coincidence at that point. I don't believe it's coincidental. The enemy always attacks you where you're weakest. And it just so happens that my health is the weakest part of me. Even though I try my best to make sure that it's not, uh, my body sometimes doesn't want to keep up with my mind and my heart and my spirit. And so I get attacked and I end up being in the hospital. And so we always have to make a call for prayer. And those who are listening, they know because they have gone and they have prayed, they have fasted, they have been with us. And God always just allows us to pull through. Now, I said I had seven strokes. Four of them were massive. I've been paralyzed on both sides of my body. I've been in the hospital two months at a time. And, I mean, you can't tell unless yeah, I, I tell you. I was going to say, Brian, I can't tell. No, <laughs> no. But, you know, God has been so good to me. And my husband has been right there. I guess the worst time was when the, that cancer thing was really bad because I told my husband if he could just, you know, I didn't want nobody to see me because my faith had left the building. And I didn't want anybody to see me with no faith because I'm a faith preacher. Yeah. I, I preach faith. You know, faith. that's one of the biggest misconceptions, and we've, we've talked about this. Um, one of the biggest misconceptions of not just apostolic living but Christianity living in general is if you have a relationship with God, my life is automatically going to turn for the better. It's not. You just have this bullseye on your back. But I wanted to ask you from that, what is the importance of having a prayer, prayer life? Well, if you don't have a prayer life, it's very hard for you to be able to overcome the different um, circumstances that you have to face in life. One thing that I've understood, because I've been traveling and preaching out for the past 12 years now, extensively where I travel probably on a, if not a weekly basis, a monthly basis, two or three times a month. Um, and I've always been a faith preacher. I preach healing. I've seen God do every kind of miracle that you could possibly imagine. But one thing I've come to understand that if I pray for somebody to be healed physically and, and the Lord heals them physically, but the Lord doesn't do an internal work and he doesn't heal them from the inside out, if he just does an external healing, more than likely they'll leave because and they'll never come back. They don't have a relationship with God, but if he does that internal healing and they learn how to stay close to God. How many countries have you and your husband began to work in or worked in um, missions in? We were missionaries to three different countries, but I've ministered in 22 different countries. So I want to I want to dig a little bit here. Have you ever had to deal with the supernatural in these other countries that we as Americans don't necessarily have to deal with. I mean, we deal with some pretty wicked things. Um, we, Brian and I just did a podcast a few weeks ago, and the, every time we started talking about spiritual battles, computer shut off. We would have computer issues, <laughs> and uh, you know, the second time it happened, the guy we were interviewing took his headphones off and he said. I, I kept apologizing to him. I said, bro, I'm so sorry. You know, I don't know what's going on here. He took his headphones off. He said, I can tell you exactly what it is. Um, there's a spirit in this area, and they're not happy what we're doing right now. 
Is there, has there ever been a spiritual battle you've had to face in one of these countries that is just unlike anything you've seen here in the United States? Well, I think I, when we talk about the supernatural, I think that when you walk in the supernatural, you always have to face the supernatural. Absolutely. One of, one of the greatest, uh, I guess, moments that will always come to mind for me, it involves Jason Sisko. We were actually missionaries in Costa Rica, and I had had my, my seventh stroke, and we had come back home for medical leave. We had been home, I think we were home for maybe seven or eight months by that time, and we were in Lake Charles, Louisiana. Um, Glenn Massey was the pastor of that church at the time, and Jason Sisko was preaching, and Sisko's a good friend of ours. So my husband went, and myself, and our, our friends were pastors of the Spanish work. And I was having a lot of seizures at the time, grand mal seizures, and I had had a couple that day. And my husband was sitting with me, and we were sitting with our friends. And my friend turned and looked at me, and she said, you look really bad, let's go home. And I told her, no, I don't want to leave because if I leave, my husband will leave, and I want to stay till the end of service. So service finished, and, and my husband went up to talk to Brother Cisco. And as he, as he went to go and talk to Brother Cisco, when he went to go and talk to Brother Cisco, um, I went up to go and tell him that I was leaving. As I went to go and tell him that I was leaving, um, my husband looked at me and he said, okay, that's fine. And Brother Cisco turned and looked at my husband. He said, Brother Marcus, why are you even here? And as he said that, my husband looked at him and said, well, my wife has been really sick and we're here on medical leave. As Brother Cisco turned and looked at me, he said, Sister Marquez, can you give me your hands? And I looked at my husband and my husband nodded yes. And so I gave him my hands. And as I put my hands in Brother Cisco's hands, he closed his eyes and I'll never forget. He started to pray. And the first thing that he said was, spirit of witchcraft, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. That really caught my attention because I'm like, whoa, man, that's crazy. And the second thing that he said was, um, spirit of infirmity, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus, leave her body now. When he said that, I felt myself having a seizure, and I started to fall. And he kind of just pulled me back up, and he said, I said, leave her body now. And when he said it the second time, I felt a hand go into my chest and just yank something out of me. Uh, service was already finished, lights were off, but the power of God hit the platform. The power of God hit the platform. I knew that I had been healed. My husband and I went to my neurologist appointment the next Wednesday, and my doctor asked me, Jessica, how many seizures have you had? And I told him, well, I haven't had any seizures since Sunday. God healed me. He said, but how many did you have last week? And I told him, he said, well, let's wait a month and see if God really healed you or not. Um, we waited the month, and after the month passed, I hadn't had any seizures at all, and I haven't had any since that moment. And I say that particular instance because going back to this last time that I was talking that they said I had cancer, when I was laying there, I looked at my husband and I told him, Honey, can you call Brother Cisco? I really feel that God has given him a word for us. And my husband said, but I don't have his number. We haven't talked to him for so long. I told him, call Brother Hattaball. He has the number. And my husband called Brother Hattaball, and then he called Brother Cisco. And Brother Cisco said, um, Brother Marquez, I'll call you back in 30 minutes. I'm going to kneel down, and I'm going to go to the Lord in prayer for you. 
and I'll call you back. Brother Cisco called 30 minutes later and he started talking to my husband. After he finished talking to my husband, my husband said, I need for you to tell my wife everything you just told me, Brother Cisco. As I started listening to Brother Cisco, Brother Cisco said, Sister Marcus, this is gonna sound so strange because it sounds strange even to me. He said, but as I was praying, the Lord first of all told me to tell you that there's going to be an angel that has not walked with you before. It's a warrior angel and he'll be walking before you. But there is a woman that is trying to stop you from going to Nicaragua. And so I stopped, you know, I really started to listen when he said that because I'm like, well, who's trying to stop me from going to Nicaragua? He said, this woman has got a cauldron. And that, you know, that, I'm like, whoa, that's like deep. He said, and she's throwing your name into this cauldron and she's sending spirits to kill you. But I come against that woman in the name of Jesus. She no longer has power over you. And uh, he says, it sounds really weird to me, but I'm just telling you what the Lord has shown me. And we're going to pray right now. We're going to rebuke this woman. We're going to rebuke her and all the witches that have gathered together to try and kill you in Jesus' name. And so we prayed, him, my husband, and myself. When I get to Nicaragua, I told you I was in a wheelchair. When I got out, the national lady's president, her name is Sister Angelita, She's waiting for me, we get into the truck. As we get into the truck, we're going through Nicaragua and they had made all of these big metal trees that were all around the city of Managua. She says, Sister Jessica, did you see all these big metal trees? I said, yes, Sister Angelita, they weren't here last time I came. She said, we have a new president and he has a wife. Her wife is a witch. And then she told me in Spanish, it would not surprise me if she would not have gathered all of her witches together, and if she would not have been throwing your name into a cauldron and sending death to your door to stop you from coming to this country. Exact words that Jason Sisko had told me. Kind of freaked me out because there's not no way that this woman who can't even speak English would say the exact same thing that Jason Sisko had said. So, um, you know, we went against everything that was happening. So Nicaragua, especially, this last time that we went, I took 28 women in, which was two years ago, I think now, babe. I think it was two years ago, because we'll go again in April. But when we went two years ago, um, the very day that we landed in Nicaragua, Nicaragua went into civil unrest. My team got, uh, what did we get, babe? Tear gassed, right? Our team got tear gassed. Um, there was riots in the street. Those 28 ladies, uh, they're all Americans. They had never experienced anything like it before. No. We, we made a call for prayer. I think that that Facebook Live had like 100,000 views. People were praying all over the United States. Um, it was a, an incredible experience for them. Uh, me, I, you know, I was trying to show that everything was okay. My daughter was with me, but they saw things that you, we saw things you could never imagine uh, as we're driving back and forth from the conference center because the ladies, even though they shut everything down in Nicaragua, they came in cattle trucks standing up, 30, 40 ladies in the back of trucks. We had over 3,000 women show up coming in the back of pickup trucks to the conference. Wow. That's incredible. <laughs> That's something we don't, we don't see here at all. But we, 
we have learned that the supernatural is very, very real. And following in your calling, you're going to have battles like that. Um, so it wasn't long after that uh, that we were just talking about that you actually transitioned, you and your husband, back to Florida um, and you started a work in Miami, Florida, correct? We actually went to Dominican Republic right after oh, Costa Dominican. Rica. Okay, yes. so what did you do in the Dominican? We were in charge of the northern half of the country. Uh, my husband... Now, is all this appointed or is this... I know, we're appointed missionaries. Okay, so yes. so you just, you go. Yes, huh. um, we, we, we were in charge of the northern half of the country. My husband was a part of the National Board of all of the countries, and I was involved in Ladies' Ministry, World Network of Prayer. And in the Dominican Republic, we were both professors at three of our Bible colleges there. Wow. So tell me about your transition back. To Miami. To Miami, yeah. Well, to Miami, not back to, but back to the United States, to Miami. Well, we, um, we actually took a church in Miami, and when we took a church in Miami, my husband uh, started pastoring there. We pastored there in Miami maybe for about five years. We started seeing God do amazing things. Um, we started a lot of small groups, life groups we called them. We had one particular life group in downtown Miami that was growing really fast. And that life group in downtown Miami, I think that once we got to 46 people in that home, um, the sister would take out all of her furniture in her living room and her dining room, and we would just pack out her house. Once we got to that many people, my husband said it wasn't a life group anymore. That was enough to have a church. So we applied for Metro Daughter Work status. And when we applied for Metro Daughter Work status, my husband put my name as the pastor of that church. So I applied for North American missionary status in the state of Florida, and I was, uh, I was approved by the Florida district as a North American missionary. So I want to ask you the difference between the cultures. You come from all these different works all over the world to Miami. Tell me about the culture difference. Is one culture more accepting of what you're trying to do than the other? Did you try? Did you have bigger challenges with a different culture? What what was the culture shock? Just completely different. Well, Miami is Latin. Um, the city of Miami, because we lived in Miami, not in Fort Lauderdale. Uh, Fort Lauderdale is probably about forty-five minutes to an hour north of Miami, when that's where most of the churches are located at. Uh, in the city of Miami, probably. Just over 90% of the people speak only Spanish. Any store you go into, any place you go into, people speak only Spanish. In the church where my husband pastored at, we had 17 different nationalities from 17 different countries. So once everybody gets to the city of Miami, they're all Latin people. Of course, all the countries, they have different cultures. They believe in different things, but they're Latin. So you learn how to deal with Latin people. So in all these times that you've been in ministry, and, and even now that you're, you're ministering in, in here locally, uh, pretty close to us in Paragould, when you, when you look back at these times that you've gone through from Miami, the Dominican Republic, Costa Rica, Mexico, what are some of your fondest memories? Oh, well, I love the Dominican Republic. Uh, I loved every country that we've gone to, but the Dominican people, they're so exuberant in their worship 
you have a mixture of the African culture with the Latin culture, and when you mix those two cultures together, you get an explosive uh, church service. When they start worshiping, it's crazy. Um, they're always so happy. Every time you see a Dominican, they have a megawatt smile from ear to ear. Everything is just slow. I mean, mega slow. You have to learn how to slow down, and you learn how to enjoy life. Yeah. So uh, I love the Dominican. One of my favorite stories I've ever heard about the Dominican Republic was there are two different types of fathers in the Dominican Republic. Um, for sports fans, the Dominican Republic produces some of the best athletes in Major League Baseball. And those dads get out there at such an early age and they teach their kid how to play baseball. You know, it's a very poor area, a very... Um, you know, just there's nothing there. As so, what I've heard, and there they have two options: they can go outside and learn how to play baseball, and the the fathers would get cardboard and make mitts out of it, and they'd use rocks for the ball, and they'd use limbs for the bats, and the fathers will teach them how to become a baseball player. And on the second side of it, there's people who go straight to work and. They actually make baseballs in the Dominican Republic, and I, I want to—I I can't remember the exact number, but they said it was like a half a penny for every baseball they produce. And out of the same country, you're having kids make baseballs, and you're having kids becoming millionaires because their father taught them at a young, early age to play baseball. And they come over to the United States and make all these millions of dollars, and that always made me wonder about the mindset overseas, how the culture is such a different shock. So when you say that they, they're just a little bit more laid back, is it hard for them to, if they have no walk with God, no relationship with God, is it hard for them to accept something like that? No, I, I think especially in different countries, once you present to them, the fact that there is someone greater than them that can change their life forever. They wholeheartedly embrace it. If they don't have money for a doctor and you tell them that there is a God that can heal them, they believe that God can heal them and you see God do extraordinary miracles. They believe what you say at face value because they have nothing else. And then when you come to the States, I'm thankful because I've been traveling quite a bit here in the States and things are starting to change here. People are starting to believe that God can do absolutely anything. And because they believe, we're starting to see supernatural miracles occur. And I've seen God do it in almost every place. I'm not gonna say almost, it is in every place that I have been at. In the past, you could only hear about these miracles happening overseas. But now you see it here in the United States. And it's not so much now about how much you have or where you live at. It's about your mindset. It's about changing the way that you think. And because so much is happening here in the States now, and there's so much, I, I guess, um, so many people wondering, where can I turn to now 
everyone has disappointed me. There's not anywhere else I can turn to. When we have nowhere else to turn and you're presented that there is someone that can change your life forever, you stop and you listen. And when God does what you've been told he can do and you believe and he changes your life forever and you go to someone else, it's almost like a domino effect. And that's when we start seeing revival. And I'm so glad that it's finally starting to happen here in the United States. I want to ask you a 21st century question. Sure. Do you have any pushback being a female minister? Well, used to have quite a bit. Um, I was the first ordained woman in the Florida district. I've had my ordination for three years now, babe, right? About three years now. The very first woman, if I would have known I was the first woman to be ordained, I might not have done it because it's kind of scary. But my presbyter at the time, David Elms, didn't tell me. He's our friend, so I'm thankful he didn't. Uh, our Florida District Board was very welcoming. Our district superintendent, C. Patton Williams, very, very great man of God, so I'm, I'm thankful for him. I'm especially thankful for my husband because the person who saw that I had a call of God on my life to preach was not me. It was my husband. I grew up um, being taught that women did not preach. Women did not lay hands on people. Women did not pray for people. Women just did what women were supposed to do. So I had a very great stigma I had to overcome. I was 28 years old, and if you're listening to me, you know this story because I say it frequently. I was 28 years old when my friend invited me to go and speak at her conference. And I always say she invited me because she wanted to hang out, not because I could speak, because mm -hmm. I couldn't. Um, she didn't tell me that there was going to be over a thousand people at her conference or that it was going to be a mixed crowd. But we went to Cuernavaca, and when we got to Cuernavaca, uh, my husband sat in the middle of the crowd. Again, he was district superintendent, and her husband sat there, and he was district superintendent. And I was so nervous, but I went up and I spoke what God had given to me. After I finished, my husband came up and he told me in Spanish, when we get to the hotel, we're going to talk. I thought I had done something wrong. In Mexico especially, um, I, I didn't want to offend anyone. So I made a list of all the things I had done wrong to tell my husband when we got to the hotel because I wanted to tell him before he could tell me. Mm -hmm. And when we sat down, uh, <laughs> yeah, I've done the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> when we sat down, I started telling him all the things I had done wrong. And he told me, no, 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 Jessica, you didn't do anything wrong. We have been so wrong in your calling. God did not call you to be a singer. He did not call you to be a worship leader. He didn't call you to be a musician because I can play just about anything. He said, God called you to be a preacher. And I started laughing at him. And I said, I'm sorry. God did not call me to be a preacher. I'm a lady. And ladies don't preach. He told me, well, you can accept the call of God on your life or you can go through a process. And I looked at him. I said, well, I guess I'm going to have to go through the process because I'm a lady and ladies don't preach. Well, I went through a very long process. And when I went through the process, I finally accepted the call of God on my life. There's one thing about our organization, Brother Tony, that even if someone doesn't believe in a woman preacher, our organization does not negate anointing. When Amen. someone is anointed, yes. they embrace the anointing. And I'm very thankful for that. And I'm very thankful for um, Dr. David Bernard, our general superintendent. 
I've been able to um, work with him, translate for him, interpret for him. He's spoken at my conference before. I've been able to hear him, and, and he has just really not just embraced women in ministry because his mother was, was a minister, but he has allowed women to be able to um, work in their calling, and he has not just allowed them, he has encouraged women to embrace their calling, and I'm thankful for that. Right. Uh, bro, can you come up to the mic real quick? I want to ask you a question. You can either share me or Brian's mic. It doesn't matter. I'll move over. Uh, I want to ask you a question, if you don't mind, since we're on this subject. Come on up here, bro. Come on up here. <laughs> uh, I want to ask you a question because you've you've traveled around everywhere as well. Have you had any... I, I just asked your wife a, a 21st century question. I want to ask you the same thing. Have you had any pushback um, being a Hispanic minister in United Pentecostal Church, or not even that, just traveling around, have you had any pushback whatsoever? Um, anything that you just didn't feel like you could get started or that people would not take you seriously, anything like that? Well, um, I've always done what God wants me to do. So I really don't worry about what people think. I'm different than in that aspect because what I, I I grew up on the mission field, always doing what God called me to do. And so, to me, it really what's important is if I fulfill the will of God. Right. And it doesn't matter where I'm at or who who likes it or not, as long as I know that I'm doing God's will, then I know that. Uh, that I'm in the right place doing the right thing. And yeah, there's there's people that that like you and there's people that doesn't like you. That that's an anything. But I've learned that uh doing the will of God and uh I really I'm a Hispanic, but I was you know born here in the United States. Right. And so uh, I'm a mixture of two cultures and Instead of looking at something negative, it's really something positive because you are able to uh, to get both cultures and put them together and be able to understand a lot of, of culture. And, uh, and that is one thing that helps you to be able to, uh, to do ministry in, in, in a way that you understand people. So, Brother Marquez, I want to ask you one last question. Um, what does your ministry how well let me rephrase it how does your ministry appreciate your wife's ministry i mean because obviously you guys travel and minister together what does that do for you and your calling i'm sure it complements it in, in incredible ways well um as as a minister uh, god has blessed me with a wife that has been able to not only be part of my ministry, but also she has her individual ministry that God has called her. And uh, it's a blessing because we understand when it comes to uh, decisions that we have to make, things, sacrifices, all kinds of things that we have to do, we understand. And so uh, for us, it's nothing that we have to, uh, you know, uh, uh, some people say we have to pray a lot about some things that goes on for us. You know, if we feel that it's God's will, well, then 
we understand that, that it has to be done. And so it complements each other to understand what God is trying to do in our life. And so for us, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's more than anything else, it's a compliment that God is giving to us. Uh, the, the, it's, it's easy to do ministry when somebody that's your spouse understands what's going on yeah. in your life. Yeah. Uh, when, when you have to be explaining and always pushing and pulling, then it, it, it could become a problem. But something like that, you know, that when you have a, a wife that understands that you have to travel and you have to go here and, and God called you th- to do this and God called you to do, uh, you know, things, great things, and it does require, require sacrifice, then, you know, uh, you understand that, and and it's one less thing that you have to worry about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it's got to be such a blessing to have a compliment to your ministry, where you don't always have to explain. You know, you felt a calling from God and a pulling from God, where you don't have to beg your wife or beg um, your children. Say, please understand, this is something God's calling me to do. Please don't fight me on this. You know, it's got to be such a blessing to have have that. That partner, yeah. who you and, marry, and matters. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess more than anything, we've been married now for 22 years. We're you 40, said that with a question. 40, 40, <laughs> 41 and 40, uh, 40 and 41 years old. So we've been doing this when we were very young. And so it's not only that we understand each other, but there is a, a mutual trust between each other. In ministry, not as 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 husband and wife, but in as ministers also, and so there's this trust that we have developed that makes it uh, a whole world of difference to be able to do what God has called us to do. Brian, I think you hit the the nail on the head. Who you marry truly does matter. Has has your husband ever been preaching something to where um, he spoke? God spoke the same thing to you, and your husband's preaching it. Well, I, I think because we've been married, and he said 22 years because we're about to hit 22 years. And we're both about to have birthdays, so we're about to be 41 and 42. So we're Who's about, older? I am. <laughs> Same here. Brian, how about you? Melissa doesn't want me to talk about it. <laughs> but because, because we're, um, we're always together, we talk a lot about what we're going to minister, and our thought patterns are very similar. So our conversations have a lot to do with ministry, and if we have thoughts and ideas about our preachings, we talk about it. That's what our conversations are. So over a cup of coffee for breakfast or at nighttime, it seems like our life is always just talking about what we're going to preach or what we're going to do. Ministries are life. Ministry-minded people, Brian. Yeah, yeah that is awesome. Um, whenever I, you asked that question, a moment ago, Tony, I was thinking because I, I think you were you you were asking in terms of because uh, there there are people out there that have posted online or written news articles about uh, the UPC supposedly being systematically racist. Yes, and and one thing that I was thinking of, which this is kind of off topic, but going back to that, is that like there's a guy that we know that he was making the charge that. The UPC was systematically racist. And one of the things he, he asked you, he was like, well, how long is it going to be until there's a superintendent of the UPC that's not white? He tends, but he forgot we've had one because Brother Urshan was Persian. And so 
Well, and, and the thing is, um, Brother Brian, you know, I was the regional director building the bridge ministries for two years. Um, and building the bridge ministries is uh, African-American ministry, and I am a Latin woman. So I was the first woman, first of all, that was a regional director of a UPCI-endorsed ministry, and it was an African-American ministry. Hmm. Right now, our Building the Bridge director was just voted in as the New York Metro District Superintendent Mike Mitchell, before him Bishop Dawson, uh, who's also Jamaican, was a superintendent. So I was part of the board when all of that happened with that person. Um, so maybe a lot of his facts weren't straight. Yeah, I see. For, for me, stop trying to cause the vision and start, you know, understanding what you're talking about. Because yes. if, if, Brian, if if our listeners can't hear the what we get to see with these two people in, our, in the office right now, I see somebody who's solely dedicated to the gospel that doesn't care what other people think. They don't care what anybody has to say. They're going to follow the will of God. And you know what? That's not easy. And if you think it is, try it. Yeah, but there are people out there that are just like, oh, well, they could, you know, just these nonsensical criticisms that they're you're criticizing from an outside perspective. Yes, exactly. At one time, they may have been affiliated, but they're no longer affiliated, and they lobby all these. You know what we're going to do? I believe it's kind of the stance of the, the organization. I mean, I'm obviously not in any position of power, but I think we're just going to keep doing the will of God. Yes. And if you're just going to talk, you're just going to talk because you're going to have an opinion Fall on where the others, yeah. well, but we're going to pursue. Well, what's, what's kind of funny to me is my husband, his father was Mexican, but his mother's Dutch and Irish. And she doesn't speak Spanish at all. So my husband is, you know, his mother, and she doesn't speak Spanish at all. So he's white and he's Mexican. Um, I'm American. My family, you know, we're not from a different country at all. And I had people all my life asking me if I was Mexican. And I don't have anybody that lives in Mexico at all. I had to learn Spanish just like anybody else would. Um, So, you know, people have a tendency to form an opinion by looking at you. Yeah. And because they look at you, they form this opinion and they begin to talk. But instead of forming opinions of maybe we took a moment and talked. Brian, our favorite phrase, they can miss me with that. Yeah, <laughs> nonsense. Okay, so we got, we're going to wrap up here shortly, but there's a couple of things that I also wanted to talk about. So you leave Miami, you're in Arkansas, and I before we got on the record, I looked at you dead in the face and I said, why in the world would you leave Miami and come to Paragould, Arkansas, of all places. But once again, Brian, we're talking about following the will of God. So tell us what you've got going on right now. What do you, What is your passion that you've got going on right now, Sister Marquez? Well, it, you know, that was kind of a culture shock. Yeah, I would say. <laughs> Miami, you go from everyone speaking in Spanish and coming to Arkansas, where hardly anybody speaks in Spanish at all. That's we have our own language, like y'all and yins. And well, <laughs> you know, since I'm from Texas, I could kind of understand. Um, but, you know, we, we love Arkansas. Arkansas is really peaceful. We love the district, love the leadership. We love Pastor Great Etheridge. Leadership Great leadership. Pastor Gaddy, absolutely amazing. Sister Gaddy. Also, Brother Sullivan, great. Uh, brother yeah. and Sister Sullivan, absolutely amazing too. Great leadership. And Pastor Etheridge just can't talk good enough about him. Um, 
I've known him for a long time. True visionary. He loves souls. You you won't meet anybody that loves souls as much as Pastor Etheridge. And if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't listened to Pastor and Bishop Etheridge's podcast, I encourage you to go back and listen to that episode. Yes, yes, sir. I guess I should say Bishop Etheridge now. That's who I'm talking about. I call him Pastor, so... Um, he he's awesome. I've known him for a long time, maybe for about eight years. Bishop Etheridge, um, he has a heart for souls. If you meet him, he's gonna make you laugh, and he's gonna want to sit down and eat something because he likes to talk over food. So same here. <laughs> I wish we had something to eat right now. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> yes, but you know, our passion has always been souls, and that doesn't change. <laughs> and that's here in Arkansas, or that's anywhere the Lord sends us to. Sure. So we would be remiss before we end up wrapping up if we don't really talk about ladies' ministry. Of course. Because um, that, the, the, hearing about how you spoke at a ladies' conference was the first time that I had, had ever heard your name before. Um, and so I, I want to take some time here and really focus on ministering to the ladies that may be listening to this podcast. And What are some things that in your, your ministry there are things that you've helped ladies overcome like are there are there thing uh, thing uh, special things that maybe tony and i because obviously we're not ladies we really can't relate to but there are things that you as a lady were able to minister to uh that you see like it reoccurring throughout your ministry that it's just something we couldn't minister to well you know i guess when it comes to ministering especially especially the way that i minister when i go in my main priority is to let women know that they have power. A lot of times women forget that because we're so focused on everything else that we do. And, and I, always tell, I always tell ladies, I know that we do a lot of other things in the church and that's our jobs to do. I don't, I don't ever minimize that. But sometimes in Maybe in in the midst of everything that we're doing, we forget that God has also given us power to be able to accomplish amazing things for his kingdom. And we get so wrapped up in the day-to-day things of life that we forget that the anointing that we have is so great that we can change lives forever. So I go into conferences and I challenge women to not be satisfied with the mediocre, with the comfortable, with just doing the same thing that they've always done, but to step out in faith, to see the miraculous, to teach their children how to be children um, like my kids, I guess. And that's the best way for me to say it because I was just talking with my husband about it. I want for my kids to do something and I forget that I taught them. And they do what I teach, what I've taught them all of their lives to do. And then I stop and I say, well, I taught them how to do that. So why am I asking them why they're doing that? Um, they walk by faith. They see something that needs to be done and they do it. I want for them to be comfortable, but they're like, sorry, mom, you didn't teach me how to be comfortable. Mm. You taught me how to step out in faith, how to serve God and how to serve the church. So how can I expect them to do anything less than what I taught them? And I think that if we taught our children how to do that, uh, 
a lot of times I go into the churches and I tell the ladies, I have seen your children at NAYC. I've seen them. I've spoken to them at youth conferences. I see their level of faith, what is happening to us. If our kids can do it, if they're at this level, how can we take a step back? So that's what I do when I go into ladies' conferences. What would you tell the next generation coming up? What would I tell them? If you could tell them anything, if you could speak to an entire generation of, of let, let's break it down, to an entire generation of women and girls growing up in the truth, what would you tell them? I would tell the generation that's coming up as girls, and, and I tell them all the time because I get to speak to them a lot in ladies' conferences. I just don't speak to the crowd. I actually ask to speak to hyphen-age girls and young women. I want for them to know that it doesn't matter their gender because God doesn't look at our gender. I want them to know that God has given them power and anointing to be able to change their world. I want for them to know that they can do absolutely anything if God has called them to do it. Um, a lot of times people try to stop us from doing what God has called us to do instead of listening to voices that want to stop us. I encourage people to look for a mentor, for somebody that will encourage you to become the person that God wants for you to be. And that's not just young women, that's young men also. For God to lead you, for God to guide you. For you to, and, and one thing I always say is listen to your pastor because if you listen to your pastor, he'll never lead you wrong. But at the same time, stay on your knees, stay close to God, stay in the word because if a lot of people are wanting to listen for the voice of God. You can hear the voice of God really clearly if you open your Bible and you start reading it. Mm-hmm. So the, the thing you said you administer to ladies, that you uh, remind ladies is that they have power. To the ladies that are out there listening, that their family right now seems like it's in chaos and there's a lot lack of peace in the home from a ministerial perspective uh, you've studied in pastoral counseling things like that what can a lady do to try and reintroduce peace back into her home pray there's not anything that can bring peace into a home like prayer a lot of times we want to try and change the situation ourselves. We want to try and change our husbands. We want to try and change our children. We try and manipulate, try and do everything ourselves. And at the end of the day, we end up finding out that we make the situation worse. There's not anything that can change a home, that can change a marriage, that can change our children like prayer can. So instead of trying to fight or manipulate or trying to change your home yourself, Find a place, kneel down, and start praying and asking God. That's why there's a verse in the Bible that says for us to pray or, or say for her to be peace that passes all understanding to just come into our lives. We need to start taking the word and praying what the word says over our homes, our families, our marriages. So what, what are some of the words you would encourage ladies to specifically pray? Well, I would say, first of all, you know, if your home is in utter chaos, ask for the Lord to bring peace into your home. If you're having trouble in your marriage, ask for the Lord to restore your marriage. If your children have somehow left the church of their prodigals, ask the Lord to bring your kids back home. There's so many things, especially right now with social media, you know, so many people are doing so many prayer things right now. Join one of these groups. Listen to one of these prayer lines that's happening right now. So many churches are doing so many things with prodigals. Um, Do something that you're not used to doing. One thing, 
And that I always encourage women to do, especially when you're praying, is to put on some worship music. Fill your home with worship. Mm-hmm. When you begin to worship God, the Word says that when we begin to worship, He comes in and He inhabits our praise. Do something different than what you normally do. Turn off your TV. Turn off Facebook. Turn off everything that has filled your life with clutter and focus on God. When you do this, you'll start seeing changes in your life. Well, we appreciate you so much for taking the time to speak with us. Um, Do you have any book recommendations that you'd like to give? Well, you know, I said earlier that I love to read, and I do. Um, Some of the things that, and right now a lot of my books are academic because I'm studying. So um, one of the books that I'm reading is called Paul and His Team, which I, I really like a lot that I'm focusing on. I also like Samuel Rodriguez. He has a lot of books right now um, that are absolutely amazing. I love to sit down and read him because um, the way that he preaches is the way that he writes. And I I just really receive a lot from what I read with that. Besides that, I I like to do my devotionals. Uh, Priscilla Shire has a lot of good books. I have all of her books that I like to read. And uh, besides that, I like to listen to her also because she's just really powerful and brings a lot of encouragement. So those are things that I would recommend. Um, when when someone has this, their walk with God, um, the condition of our hearts matter. W- will you speak here in the, these closing moments before we, we open it up to where you can just minister freely or speak and unburden yourself in any way? Um, Will you speak to the importance of having a heart that is holy before God? Sure, Brother Brian. And we were talking about that maybe before we started our podcast. And, um, you know, what one of, one of the things, because we were talking about modesty and holiness, and, and one thing that I mentioned is that for me it always starts in the heart. I remember when we first started in Mexico, there was a sister that worked with me in one of our local churches, and her name was Norma. When Norma came into the church, I knew she loved God with everything that she had in her. She was having some trouble with um, really getting into the church like she wanted to. I knew that if I asked her to do some things, that she'd do it because she loved me. But I knew that I was a missionary, and that eventually I would have to go on deputation or we'd have to do something. And if Norma changed for me when I left, probably Norma would go back to what she used to do. Mm-hmm. But if Norma had a change of heart, and it was what God did inside of her, then it would reflect on the outside. And it didn't matter if I was there or not. When God did the change, she would always stay that way. People were pressuring me, saying, why don't you tell Norma for her to change? And I would tell them, no, when Norma's ready to change, God will do the work in her. Until she's ready for that, we'll just let her keep loving God and serving God as she can. We went to this very small church, and I was speaking to the ladies there. Uh, It was a ladies' prayer thing. And I saw Norma as she went to the front to the altar, and she just started just taking things off. And I looked at her and I'm wondering what's going on with her. She came up to me afterwards and she said, Sister Jessica, I was praying 
I felt the Lord come into my heart and he started changing some things inside of me. And when he started changing things inside of me, I knew that there were things that I was doing that I did not need to do anymore. And I wanted to be different. And I could not wait till I got home. I needed to do it right now. I looked at her and it surprised me because it would never have been the moment that I thought. It was in this tiny little pueblito, tiny little town, and this small church that God did a work in her heart. But she was never the same again. A lot of times we're expecting people to change immediately. And maybe they'll change for us because they want to please us. But when God does a work in our hearts, he does the work in such a way that when people look at us, they know that we're not the same. And when we're not the same, it doesn't just show on the inside. It shows on the outside too. So that's an incredible, incredible change whenever the Lord really does that. So before we give you the floor for your final thought, just like Brian says, so you can minister however you feel fit, you have a conference coming up, correct? I do. Tell us about what you got going on there. I do. I'm super pumped about our conference, Women Ministering to Women. Um, this is our eighth year. We've had our conference internationally. We've had it in I don't know how many countries, but our largest conference was in Argentina. We had over 7,000 women show up there. Um, we have our conference every two years in Nicaragua. We have between five and 6,000 women. We're hoping in Pearland because our stateside conference, we've had maybe 1,200 ladies. We're hoping in Pearland to hit that many um, with our turnaround crowd. It's going to be really, really amazing. We have amazing speakers. Um, our speakers are Sophia Monday, uh, Aurelia Hopkins. We have Gina Gretsch coming all the way from Sydney, Australia. We have Dr. Cindy Miller, Tanil Whaley, myself. My daughter will be a keynote speaker, Bernice Burnett, who's the South Texas District Spanish Ladies Coordinator. I'm probably missing somebody, but we have maybe about eight speakers. Sounds like you got a power-packed weekend. Oh, Jennifer Williams from the Pentecostals of Alexandria will be speaking also. Yeah. And so when is that? Um, October 24th, 25th, and 26th, we have some great... How can they get more information about that? Go to our Facebook page, Women Ministering to Women Charity. Gail will be singing. We have Alfonso Hernandez, who's won three Dove Awards. Jeremy McCain. Uh, we have some amazing musicians. It's going to be a great time at First Church, pastored by Ken Gurley. We have rented his facilities. Wow, so it sounds like you got a big power-packed weekend coming we up. We have a power-packed weekend. And what date is that, I'm sorry? October 24th, 25th, and 26th. Starts Thursday night at 7 o'clock. We'll be finished on Saturday by 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Houston metro area we're close enough for everybody to come you don't want to miss it I know that God's going to do a supernatural work our conferences always you know that God's going to do something miraculous we're going to see uh, a great move of God's spirit oh and it is a completely bilingual conference so everything will be interpreted we'll have some messages preached in spanish interpreted into english and you can be sure that interpretation will be equally anointed because one of the things i hate is when interpreters are not anointed like the preachers <laughs> so let me tell you a quick story about this real quick when i was growing up we had a 
we had quite a bit of Hispanic people coming to our church, and my pastor went out and got a uh, a translator who is not in the church at all, but we couldn't find anybody who was in the church. And so my pastor was preaching a Holy Ghost fire sermon one Sunday, and the uh, interpreter was just looking at him like, yeah, come on, keep saying that stuff. And the interpreter got so convicted he got the Holy Ghost while translating for my pastor. <laughs> Such a That's cool awesome. story. That is a cool uh, story. <laughs> Brother Nelson was his name. But um, we want to go ahead and open the floor for you for the next couple of seconds here. Unburden yourself. What has God been dealing with you lately before we wrap up? You know, I, I think that the for the most part, what I have really been feeling in my spirit, and I've, I told my husband this morning that, I've really been praying because I I've have felt a shift. I've just felt a shift in this in the spirit everywhere that I go. God is really calling us to go deeper and more profound than what we ever have before. I expect when I go into a service to see something miraculous happen. If it's on a Wednesday night, a Monday night, a Sunday morning, Sunday night, I expect that when I walk into the house of God, that God is going to do something that will blow my mind. Mm, expectation. Not because of me, because I'm nobody, but because of Him. Yes. Because He is a miracle-working God. So when I walk into a church, I am expecting that if someone has a need, if anyone needs the Holy Ghost, if someone needs a change in their life, that it's going to happen. Yes. But what I need to do when I get there is not just talk faith, but I need to inspire faith. I need for people to join their faith with mine. One of the things that I always tell people, and it's one thing that I've learned, um, the Word of God tells us that when two or three are gathered together in His name, a lot of times people interpret that and take it out of context, and they think it's talking about the quantity of people. But the Word of God is really talking about people with like-minded faith. When two or three people gather together in faith, their God is in the midst of them. So if we have only two people that believe the same way, if us three together for with my husband, if we were to gather together and believe that God was going to do something so amazing, something so supernatural that would just blow everyone's mind, someone was to walk up, you know, through the doors right now, I know that the Lord would do something extraordinary, not because of us or nobody, but because of him. So everywhere that I go, I try and tell people this if we could only believe that's what the word of god told you know it tells us jesus turns around and he tells mary and martha if you could only believe you'd see the glory of god and a lot of times we think we believe but we really don't but if we could only believe we would see the glory of god and that's what my expectation is that in every church in not just in our organization but in every church wherever we walk into, that we would see such a move of God's Spirit that it would just change our lives forever. And, and that's what my burden is right now, Brother Tony. When you talk about that shift at today, I had lunch with a, a, a minister, that uh, Brother Philip Flowers, who pastors in Marion, and he and the other gentleman that I was there with, they're about the same age. They're not old by any means. Uh, they're just a little bit older than me. And they, Tony, they were talking to me at lunch 
Uh, Tony, you got upset because I didn't invite you to come eat lunch with us. See, we, but, we how you talk about Brother Ethers wanting to eat? That's me. <laughs> yeah. And so we left Tony out in the cold today. But they were talking about Brian. He, they said something to the effect of, "You don't know just how much you should preach the time in which you live in." He said, "Where people just get the Holy Ghost all the time now." He, they were like, "Cause there was a time whenever they, whenever they were my age, it wasn't very often that people were getting the Holy Ghost where where they were where they were at." And they were talking about how there's people that are just in California. They'll go to apostolic churches just to have the experience of, of receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. So we do live in a very unique time in which the Spirit of God is being poured out. And, and I think that the closer we get until the end, I think that, that it will be more frequent. And I think that that, that shift is is being felt on a on a global scale, and it's certainly in North America and then in the south of the border. In, in Africa, we always hear about testimonies about... Uh, what God is doing, where 3,000 people are receiving the Holy Ghost. I mean, it, it's not been too many years before, since they've had crusades in Africa where more people received the Holy Ghost in one setting than they had since the book of Acts where 3,000 received the gift of the Holy Ghost. Yeah, Brian, before you wrap it up, I want to ask you one last question. My final question, final, final question. <laughs> Do you guys ever see yourself slowing down? Because the next time we have you on, you're going to be... Dr. Marquez, because you're going to get in all this education. Do you, are you guys ever going to slow down? I hope not. You, you know, <laughs> last month I was I was in Alexandria with my friend Jennifer Williams that will be speaking at my conference. And uh, I went because Vesta Mangan was going to be speaking at a Tuesday morning thing. So Jen called me and said, Jessica, why don't you come over because um, Sister Vesta is going to be speaking. So I get up way early in the morning, though I had been uh, speaking with with Pastor Russell that night, and I get up because I want to go hear Vesta Mangan. And so I'm standing there waiting for Vesta Mangan to show up, right? And I'm thinking she's going to have a driver or somebody show up at the church because she's like, what, 91, 92 years old? I see this Jeep Cherokee just, you know, come right around the corner, park, and Sister Vesta Mangan comes out. She's driving herself. She comes. She sits next to me, past me. She goes, hey, baby, how you doing? And she looks at me. She goes, I'm sorry I'm five minutes late, but I was preaching a revival last night. <laughs> I looked at her, and that's, I'm like, That's got to be you, is Whoa, it? and I said, I want to be like her. That's it. <laughs> totally want to oh, be like man. her. Oh, that's my. awesome. I, I don't think there's anybody that anybody wants to be more like than Sister Mangan. Oh, she's amazing. Oh, that is awesome. There is a level of expectation we all have whenever we come into the house of God or whenever there's any kind of special service, whenever we go at a prayer. There's always a level of expectation. And if there's one thing that I hope our listeners take away from tonight is we need to lift our level of expectation. Yes. The Bible tells us God can do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or think. What if we're praying prayers that are too small? There was a book I read once, I don't remember the title of it, when it said, I wonder if we offend God for not asking for bigger things. Are we thinking unintentionally that God only can answer on a certain level? I would encourage your faith today that what you're going through doesn't have to be your future. And that whenever you go to this next service or you go to your knees this next time in prayer, go in faith believing that God is going to do something beyond what you've been asking and beyond what you've been doing. And I don't think when he does it, we should react as though we just won the lottery. I think we should be very thankful and we should praise God for it. But I think, as Sister Marquez says, I think it's something we should expect. God doing the miraculous in our life should be a normal occurrence. 
And I encourage every person out there to lift the lid of your, your belief. Don't be so analytical that you've robbed yourself of a miracle because God can do something beyond what you ask or you even think. You've been listening to The Crucial Conversation.